Welcome to the Bear and the Ball. It's a brand new year, 2022. So much going on, including a World Cup in Qatar that begins in November. I can't wait for it. And we know that the USA is going to be there. England's going to be there. All the top teams, all the top players. It really is going to be something very, very special. So as it is the beginning of the new year, I wanted to talk a little bit about coaching. I'm currently the program lead at New Road School, an independent school in Santa Monica, and coaching the boys' varsity soccer team. It's very enjoyable, very challenging, and it's coaching I want to talk to you about today, something special, something different, just me, my voice, and my thoughts, and I want to talk to you about the process known as guided discovery. So for you coaches out there, if you're interested in guided discovery, you need to stick around because I've got some very interesting things to talk about. Stand by. It's the bear and the ball, the guided discovery episode. So let's dive into guided discovery, coaching for the 21st century, and talk about what is guided discovery? Well, it's about that coach-player connection, trust. And trust is such a big word in the relationship between the coach and player. And when you have trust, you can create almost anything because For a player to believe in his coach takes his play and his mental strength to a completely new level. When you have trust in somebody and they give you advice and they give you instruction and they tell you what to do, when you see results, that's when the trust builds and then the player will do almost anything you ask. And guided discovery, it's a combination of information and questions. It's holistic thought. So what is holistic thought? Well, it's understanding a system by sensing large-scale patterns. And what is soccer other than large-scale patterns taking place on an area 120 by 80 and being able to react to those patterns? Holistic thought is said to be used for art, music, intuition, and if soccer is not those three things, I don't know what it is because it really is an artistic musical dance that players go through, reacting, anticipating, developing. So guided discovery really molds itself around holistic thought. And of course, guided discovery is what it is. It's guiding players. It's showing players how things are done and then letting them get on with it rather than you as the coach micromanaging every part of the training session or every part of the game. And we've seen it many times with coaches on the sideline because we want to empower our players. And that's really 
the key to this guided discovery. Remember, soccer is probably the only sport here in America that's not coach-centric. Once these players step over the white line, you as a coach are pretty much powerless other than to make some substitutions because there's no timeouts in soccer. Yes, we can make replacements during free kicks, throw-ins when there's a dead ball, but how often do we get to stop the game and say, hey, this is not how we set up to play. It just doesn't happen. We have half time to make adjustments, but sometimes it's very difficult in those situations as well when you may be chasing a game where the tactical plan that you worked on in training, you've got to throw it out the window. And as Confucius says, I hear and I forget, I see and I remember, I do and I understand. Think about that. I hear and I forget. That is uh, something that I can relate to because how many times have you spoken to players and it looks like the eyes are open but the information is going through one ear and out the other. However, if you show them some videotape of some of the things they've done well and some of the things they've not done so well, I've definitely seen a better reaction. And then of course, in training, you take everything together and you can really see sometimes the light bulb going off, the brightness behind the player's eyes. So within this guided discovery, we have to figure out who we are, coaching styles. And as you probably know, there are so many different coaching styles. So let's take a look and see who you are who you want to be. The authoritarian is commanding, he's a dictator. You do exactly as I say. I'm not sure how that relates to kids today. I know in my day, which really wasn't that long ago, but in my day, that was the coach. You did exactly what they said, or you got a clip around the ear, or you got benched, but you certainly didn't question a coach with this kind of demeanor. I mean, they ruled by an iron stick, and maybe someone like that would be uh, Sir Alex Ferguson, but when you think about the success that Ferguson had, there's no way he could have been the authoritarian, a commander, a dictator all the time. There's got to be some middle ground where players feel like they can talk to you. And as the, one of the slides beforehand said, trust you. It's very difficult to fall in love with this kind of coach unless this is what you're used to. Casual, submissive, the babysitter. None of us want to be this coach. That is for sure, especially at the younger ages. No one wants to feel like they're babysitting players. There's no joy in that. 
And if you're too submissive, you let the you let the players run riot. And if you're too casual, players are very I wouldn't say they're devious or sneaky, but they know when they can get away with things. And if you let certain aspects of your training and your match days slide, players will take advantage of that. Then, of course, there's the cooperative, the democratic, the teacher. And I think this is the style that works in guided discovery. There has to be cooperation. There has to be dialogue between the coach and the player. We talk about democratic. We want input from our players, but ultimately, as the coach, you are the one that makes the final decision. But by having different voices, different thoughts, ideas, concepts brought to you and discussed, perhaps you can find that ground that everybody buys into. Because ultimately, you are the teacher, you are the coach, you are the one that has to fall on the sword at the end of the day. Here's a great quote from somebody else. Say the quote first and then we can think about who said it. Coaching is people management. Getting people to do what you want them to do and like doing it. It's almost like we have to sometimes trick players, isn't it? Coaching is people management. Absolutely. One of the things I learned working with Eric Winolda during our US Open Cup run was the relationships that we built between us and our players. Our players loved us and would do anything to please us. And getting people to do what you want them to do, because you have a vision as a coach, you believe that your vision works. And the great thing about getting people to do what you want them to do is when they do it and they are successful, it's incredible validation for you as a coach. And if they can do what you want them to do and like doing it, they're going to keep doing it. So think about winning. They're going to keep winning. Think about improving. They're going to keep improving. So who said this? Well, it wasn't a soccer coach, but it was a legendary football coach, a man by the name of Vince Lombardi. And I think Vince Lombardi knew a thing or two about coaching. Obviously, some of the stories about him, authoritarian, definitely commanding, a little bit of a dictator. But I don't think he would have been as successful as he was without cooperation, without taking in advice from fellow coaches and players. And obviously, he was a great teacher. So the objects of guided discovery. Well, we want to engage the player in a particular process of discovery. So what does that mean? Well, it could be something as simple as a one-two, a give-and-go, especially at the younger ages where players have a tendency to dribble, they have their head down, 
They can't really see what's happening around them. They're very focused on themselves and the ball. But if we can engage this player in a one-two, in a give and go, he can see how a combination play is a great way to beat an opponent and an easier way to beat an opponent than off the dribble. We want to develop a precise relationship between the player's discovered response and stimulus, which is presented by you, the coach. So that's using perhaps the right part of the foot. If you think about a one-two, there's definitely right ways and wrong ways to play it. It's about timing. It's about the weight of the pass, the angle of the run, how the body is open or closed. We don't want to broadcast the fact that sometimes we're going to do a one-two unless we realize our opponent has gone completely off the wrong foot. Their body weight is poor. They've shown the incorrect way for the player to pass the ball. So the coach has to demonstrate the correct technique. We want to develop sequential discovery skills that logically lead to the discovery of a concept. So you may set up a drill where it is 1v1 and you're asking the attacking player to beat the defender in a confined space and it's very, very difficult. You then may ask the question, how can you beat this player if you can't beat them off the dribble? And this will lead the player to a certain thought process. And hopefully that thought process involves using a teammate. And we need to develop patience in both the coach and the player that is required for this process because just be, you may know exactly what you want from the player. But does the player understand that? And what we want our players to be able to do is to fail and maybe fail repeatedly until they understand what it is that they are required to do to execute a certain drill. Now at some point, you as the coach may have to step in there, especially with the younger ones, and explain exactly what a combination is, what a one-two is, what an overlap or a takeover. So once you're in that process, it's very important that you manage the time, you don't flog it, you don't beat a dead horse. If they're not getting it, you have to step in. But step in in steps. Don't try and fix the entire or show the entire process. Do it in a logical, progressive manner. So meaningful questions, that is one of the main components of guided discovery. Coaches must be skilled in the art of asking meaningful questions. So 
let's think about this. What is a meaningful question to a 12, 13-year-old young boy, young girl? And I would say something like the following. What do you love about soccer? I mean, you're not going to get a yes or no, that's for sure. What makes you feel alive when you're on the pitch? Who is your favorite player and why? What kind of concerns do you have? Here's one I love. What would you be doing if you weren't playing soccer? And what does the perfect game look like? These are all questions that will elicit an emotion. And I think when we get emotions out of our players, we are definitely on the right track. These questions will give players the opportunity to practice problem solving and will help them to become more capable of solving problems that arise in the games. Because think about this. Many times in the game where players get a little bit down on themselves because they haven't executed. But you could grab their attention back. Hey, hey Stevie. Remember that question I asked you? What do you love about soccer? And all of a sudden, instead of being down, he's remembering that conversation. He's remembering why he loves the game. And you've given him that trigger to get back into the game. So the goals of effective questioning. Well, we want to actively involve players in the learning process. We want to enhance their task mastery. We want them to discover things about themselves. And that's what effective questions can do. That aha moment. We want to figure out what they want to do in life. We want to plan so they can achieve their goals. It's enhancing their conceptual understanding and it's promoting both simple which is low order and complex high order thinking so let's delve into that a little bit deeper with low order questions what are low order questions well something as simple as what part of the foot do you use to make a short pass because low-order thinking, it's the foundation of skills required to move to the higher order of thinking. Low-order thinking is the acquisition of knowledge and understanding that knowledge. Many players I've seen will use the outside of their foot to make a short pass, which isn't the best technique. We know as coaches that we want to use the instep. Why? Well, because it's more accurate. You can get the weight of the pass more easily. And with the outside of the foot, the ankle's generally not locked, which can lead to certainly catastrophic injuries if an opponent goes through a ball and you don't have a locked ankle. It's one of the things that I'm very firm on with my players, I want them to pass the ball with the correct technique 
every single time to never get lazy. And where should you aim when you're shooting on goal? Do coaches ever talk about that? I mean, we love to say, oh yeah, put it in the top corner. But to put it in the top corner, it's a very, very difficult skill. Going back to Eric Winolder again, and his theory is that you should shoot low, hard, and at the keeper every single time. It's the hardest shot for him to save. Repeat that to your players, low, hard, and at the keeper. The ones that fly in the top corner, unless you happen to be Lionel Messi, it's not always possible to find that level of accuracy. And as coaches, well, we have a tendency to ask lower order questions because they're very easy. So let's challenge ourselves and ask high order questions. An example of that would be, how can we get the ball down the field quickly? So the first response may be, let's whack it as hard as possible. Let's give it to the goalkeeper so he can punt it as far as possible. But I think what we're trying to do, unless there's a, a breakaway situation where we've seen the striker alone with a centre-back and it's a 1v1, yeah, sure, we want to get the ball downfield quickly, but if we don't have the numbers, then we have to manipulate the ball. We have to manipulate our opponents. And that requires us to be able to analyze situations, to evaluate, and then create the positions where we can move the ball at pace through multiple combinations or quick passing. Why should we play high pressure defense? Well, these are questions that you're asking your team. What are the responses you would like to hear? I would like to hear that by putting opponents under pressure, we force mistakes in their defending third. Because as we know, if we can pick up the ball closer to our opponent's goal, more chances we have to create our own shots on goal. Maybe the response would be from your players that our opponents like to maintain possession. That's why we should play high pressure. Maybe it's because our opponents aren't very technical. That's why we should play high pressure. But it's certainly questions that we want to ask our players before the game. So if you have the opportunity to scout opponents, not all of us do, but some of us do, let's find out where your opponents are weak and then describe those weaknesses to your team and see if your players can develop thought and questions to use their skills, their technical ability, their tactical smarts to beat an opponent. 
because it's important for coaches to understand both types of questions and we need to apply them appropriately. Don't just throw them out there willy-nilly. You've really got to think carefully about guided questioning. So let's take this a little bit deeper. And here's a great example. In a 3v3 situation, what's the best way to get the ball to your teammate? You'll find different answers. And then what you can do is say, great, let's try it. So now you're involving your players in designing and taking your training session to a level that perhaps you haven't seen before because it's your players and because it's their idea, the buy-in is so much bigger. I mean, we all want our training sessions to be really dynamic places. We want them to be player-centered, certainly more than coach-centered. And that is where this statement comes from. Let's try it. This is your idea. I mean, I could just cover this topic. I could force feed the information to the players and then watch them try and regurgitate it. But by using this guided questions, I'm asking the players to find the answer. Do you know how motivating that is? Now they're really part of the team. What happens when you pass the ball behind your teammate? Let's try it again. So now they can see how mistakes happen and the reaction to those mistakes. How many times have you seen players misplace a pass and then give their teammates the business? It's absolutely scandalous, isn't it? Now, if you want to make sure your teammate goes forward, where do you want to pass? By getting buy-in once again, we are opening up a whole world of goodness. So positive coaching responses. This is you out on the field right now. Great idea. Can you show me how that works? That's great. How could we do it faster? I like that answer. What other skill can we, get, can we use to get the ball to our teammates? Now you're getting the idea. If you throw out those responses, you will get a reaction and you will get a positive reaction. So techniques for asking effective questions. You've got to plan your questions ahead of time. Don't just throw things out there. Really have a good sense of how you want this session to develop. So plan those questions. Make sure when you are asking questions that you have the player's attention. It's no good bellowing out a question from 50 yards away, hoping that the players are hearing it, hoping that they understand what you're trying to get. And remember, ask when it's appropriate. When players are exhausted, when they're panting, when they're struggling for oxygen, that's probably not the best time 
to ask questions. Make sure you reinforce everything, prompting and probing, and distribute questions. It's so easy to go to your favorite player who's super smart, knows all the answers. You don't want to be in that situation. You want to have every one of your players involved and know your players as well. Obviously, don't ask questions to a player that you know has no chance of getting the answer right. So the downside to questions sometimes, players answer without real thought. Yep, they're going to parrot, catch words or phrases they've heard from you. Be really aware of that. When you hear answers that scream of you, probe for more. Repeated questions or poorly worded questions. Why can't you do that? How did you not see that? Hows and whys, very difficult. Rhetorical questions and the coach not giving players enough time to process the question. Sometimes we feel like those silences, oh, kills us. But hey, be patient, be patient. And then maybe the coach asking too many questions in a row. Players need time to process information. So in summary, the coach controls the pace and the rhythm of the guided discovery. We're going to present information indirectly. Guided discovery simply improves motivation and it promotes learning and problem solving. Coaches, use guided discovery. Read up more on this subject. This process of teaching absolutely works. I've used it. I'm using it. I am seeing results. And I'm seeing results already. We are 4-1-1. One one. We've won more games in one season than the program has done in the previous three. Now, I'm not going to put that all down to the coaching because the players are the ones that do the business on the field. But it just goes to show that guided discovery does work. As always, if you want to get hold of me, I am on Twitter at Nick Webster. And you can find CalSouth at CalSouthSoccer on Instagram, on Twitter, and of course on Facebook. 2022, it is beginning. It's going to be quite a sensational year of soccer here in Southern California. I hope that you all have a prosperous new year and I can't wait to see you all on the field. Speak to you soon.